0: Praise the Lord. We're just going to go ahead and jump right in with both feet today, folks. The one we call Jesus gave a clear statement about everlasting life. We're going to find that written in the gospel record according to John. But before we do, I want us to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You. We thank You, Lord, for Your Word. We thank You for the gospel writers. We thank You for those things which have been preserved for our benefit. Lord, I ask that You would give me unction to speak, that You would give me the ability, Lord, to speak clearly and concisely as I share Your Word, that each one, within the sound of my voice, would receive Your truth directly from You. Where we need to be rebuked, Lord, rebuke us. Where we need to be reproved, reprove us. Where we need to be exhorted, Lord, exhort us. Lift us up with Your Word, Father, that we might walk stronger In our faith today than yesterday, I pray this all in Christ's name. Heavenly Father, I I need you to use me. I can't do it myself. Please pour your Spirit upon us to open our eyes and our ears. Help us give you the glory that's due your name. And help us, Lord, to worship you alone in the beauty of holiness as it's written in Psalm 29.2. It is so. Now we're going to open our Bibles to the fifth chapter of John's Gospel record. We'll begin with verse 24. John chapter 5. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 5. You'll find that on page, let's see, what is it here? Uh, 1642, maybe? 1642? 44? 1644, and the Bible's there in your seats if you care to read them from the Bible. If you want to look at the screen, we'll have it up at the screen. This is what's written there. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but has passed from death into life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming, and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son to have life in Himself, and has given Him authority to execute judgment also, because He is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear His voice. And come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. If I bear witness of myself... My witness is not true. There is another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. You have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Now, remember, the disciples had sent to John when he was in prison, and he said, Is this guy the one? He doesn't seem like the one. And John said, you, Yes. Oh, no, John, excuse me, John sent to them and asked, and apparently they also went to John and asked him. I mixed that up. I apologize. You've sent to John, and he's borne witness to the truth, yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was the burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light, but I have greater witness than John's for the works which the Father has given to me to finish. The very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me, and the Father Himself, who sent Me, has testified of Me. You have neither heard His voice at any time, nor seen His form. But you do not have His Word abiding in you, because whom He sent, Him you do not believe. He's talking to people that knew the Word, because He goes and He says, You search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of Me." But you're not willing to come to Me that you may have life. I do not receive honor from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in My Father's name, and you do not receive Me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. And we're seeing that in the body of Christ today. We're seeing people receiving everybody and every and anything, teachers and teachings that are far from the Word of God. He predicted it. And it's happening. Obviously, it was happening then too. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words. You know, we have people in the body of Christ today who claim that the Old Testament, the very writings that Jesus is talking about right there to proclaim Him, they claim that that's not for us. So that's not for us, they say. That was for them. But that's not what He says. He says those writings proclaim Him. They speak of Him. They reveal Christ to the world. Most assuredly, I say to you, it's written in John chapter 5, verse 24, we just read it, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. We read the King James Version of the Bible, it says, verily, verily, Other versions say, truly, truly. This version says, most assuredly, I say to you, those who hear what he taught and believe in the one who sent the Christ, they have everlasting life. Well, who sent the Christ? Who sent him? Anybody? The Father. Almighty God sent the Messiah into the world, and these people who were expecting the Messiah missed it. How could that happen? They knew the Scriptures. They searched the Scriptures, for in them they thought they had eternal life. But they missed Him. Those who hear what He taught and believe in Almighty God have everlasting life. That's what He said. Now, we looked at what it means to believe because we say, if you believe in God, you don't just give a mental assent. What does it mean to believe? And last week we looked at that. In fact, it's written in Hebrews chapter 3. Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who did not obey. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. You see, he equates belief with obedience. Obeying and faith go hand in hand, because obedience reveals our faith. Believing changes us from disobedient enemies of God into servants who obey His commands. That's what His Word says. And we're going to look at a few passages that cover that idea. First, we need to know that we actually were enemies. Someone said, I was never an enemy. I was a good person. I wasn't an enemy of God. I wasn't God's enemy. But His Word says that He's the head of the body. Christ, speaking of Christ, He's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross, and you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight, if... If indeed you continue continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast. Continue? Wait a minute, I thought all I ought to do is just say a little prayer. He says, you've got to continue, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament Scriptures. And he says we need to continue in our faith. And there are some who take the teachings of Paul, or a piece of the teachings of Paul, and they say, nope, once you're in, that's it, you don't have to do anything. You can't run away from God. You can't get out of His hand. And the Scripture tells us that He's not going to let us. So why does Paul tell us, at least suggesting that we could be moved away from the hope of the gospel? Because that's what disobedience does. It takes us away. It reveals a lack of faith. In Romans chapter 5, it's written, for if, when we were enemies... We were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. We can rejoice for that reconciliation. He reconciled us. We were enemies. We were far from God. And He says that, not me. I admit I was far from God, but there are some in the body of Christ, is I wasn't far from God, but His Word says we were. And James tells us that we're not to be lovers of the world, so that makes us far away from God. Adulterers and adulteresses, he says, this is in James chapter 4 and verse 4, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? In other words, it makes you an enemy. It makes you an enemy of God. Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. We are not to be friends with the world. Does that mean we're to leave the world? No, because Paul, in another place, and I forgot to put that passage in here, Paul says, I'm not saying you got to quit with everybody, because otherwise you'd have to leave the world. So there's this balance between being in the world but not being of it. Friends of God are in the world but we're not of it. And many of you may have heard that statement before, but maybe you don't know where it comes from. 1 John chapter 2 is where we find the idea. It's not written exactly as that. It says, "'Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world.'" He doesn't want us to be of the world. We need to be in it because this is where he's placed us. And part of our role here is to draw souls out of the world and into his kingdom. And we're going to see where his kingdom is. Jesus said, it's written in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except Through me. How do we get to the Father? We're enemies. We are enemies of God. How do we get to God? Through Christ. We just celebrated that sacrifice which He made to bring us peace with the Father. It's through Christ. Christ. In one John chapter four, we read this: "By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ Yahshua Messiah has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God." You know, there's a big movement to say Jesus wasn't even real. There are people in the world that really believe and want others to believe that he was not real. Now, the historical accounts are too many to discount them. They can't say that he wasn't real, but they say he wasn't real. History shows he was, but they say he wasn't. Who are you going to believe? Well, I believe God first, and I look at the historical record, and I say, well, that substantiates what God says. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard is coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Can we praise God? Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We have power by God to overcome the things of the world. We have that. It is intuitive. It is intrinsic. It is within us. Oh, that's right. That's what he said, too. We're going to read that. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Who is in us? What's the Scripture say? Who is in us? In Ezekiel chapter 36, it is written, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. His spirit enables us to resist temptation. His spirit enables us and empowers us to walk in the likeness of Christ. His spirit within us If you love me, it's written in John 14, this is our Lord speaking. He says, keep my commandments and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth. Now here is our Lord saying, he's fulfilling the prophecy right there that Ezekiel had said. God promised to bring his spirit within us. And here's Christ saying, I'll pray the Father and he's going to do this for you. He'll abide with you forever. The Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. The Spirit of Truth will be in believers. What does it mean to believe? We obey. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, it is written, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? You are the temple of God. And the temple of God has the Spirit of God dwelling in you. This is what God's Word says. These are the words of Paul to the church, the people who were believers in Corinth. As found in his first letter to them. And a little further along in that letter, he says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. It doesn't matter what kind of things come against us. He who is within us is greater than everything without us, outside of us. In Romans chapter 8, it's written, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, darn, why has he got to put those ifs in there? Can't we just, like, have it be fixed and final? There's so many who say it is, but he says, if, He who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies. Think about what he's saying there. These bodies are going to go as long as he wants us here, folks. Remember that the next time the enemy throws something on you like a sickness. He is in you. And He'll give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Greater is He who is in you than he who is in the world. In John chapter 14, verses 18 to 21, we read this, "'But I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. At that day ye shall know that I am in the Father, and ye in me, and I in you.'" This is Christ saying, "'He will be in believers.'" "'I in you.'" He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. Did he just say if we obey his commandments that he'll be with us? Is that what he said? I could read it again, but I don't know if it's going to change it. That's what he said. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 is written, examine yourself as to whether you are in the faith. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, indeed, you're disqualified. Why do he got to put those qualifiers in there? Can't it just be settled? He says... In His Word, Jesus Christ is in you unless you're disqualified. What disqualifies us? Anybody? Disobedience. Sin. Living in sin. Willfully disobeying what God teaches. In Ephesians chapter 4, it's written, There is one body and one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and everybody. In The Father is in you all. The Son is in you all. The Spirit is in you all. Somehow, by God's magnificent power, He dwells within us. If we would get that, if it would really be sealed within us, the enemy would have no power over us with temptation. I'm walking with God in me. You're walking with God in you. Why would you want to go anywhere else? Why Why? why would anybody want to go anywhere else? In Colossians chapter 1 it's written, to them, God will make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, I know you might think I'm really hammering this home, but I'm just bringing you the scriptures of what they say. Okay, just in case there's any room for doubt or somebody could try to twist one little thing here, or one little thing there, these are the scriptures. These are the words of God written by those whom He empowered with His Spirit and Christ Himself. Greater is He who is in you than he who is in the world. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. that we might know those things that are freely given to us of God. In Luke chapter 17, it is written, And when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered and said to them, These Pharisees were the religious people. They were highly religious And they were asking Him, when will the kingdom of God come? Now they were thinking of Him establishing or someone, God, establishing His kingdom here on earth at that time. They were looking for this Messiah who would set up a kingdom that would take over like the kingdom of David. And He answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. Nor will they say, see here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is within you. Within you. The kingdom of God is within you. Grasp that. Get a hold of that. If Christ is in us, If God is in us, if the Spirit of God is in us, and the kingdom of God is within us, do we lack anything? How could we possibly lack anything if God is within us, if Christ is within us, if the Holy Spirit of Almighty God is within us, if the very kingdom of God is within us, how could we possibly lack anything? He said He'll give us power. He'll give us the ability to do the works that He did. Young man, that's enough. You sit down with your mother. It's okay. Sometimes they just need to be told. God's kingdom is here within us, right now. God's kingdom is among us right now. He said, you search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. They testify of him. The most religious people of that time were known for studying the written Word of God. They knew the Word of God. They knew it with certainty. They knew His Word. They studied it in the language of their time. It wasn't a foreign language. It wasn't an archaic language. They studied the Word of God in the language of that time. It was passed down from generation to generation. Some believed in the resurrection of the dead and others did not. As our Lord addressed this crowd, He reminded them of the fact that they wanted everlasting life. In our Lord's parable of the rich man and Lazarus, He stated a fact that He also related in the passage that we began with today. Same idea. Same fact. The enemy of souls doesn't want that to be known. As He was giving His parable... He related what Abraham said to the rich man, "'They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them.' And the rich man said, "'No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent.' But Abraham said to him, "'If they do not believe or hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead.'" See, He knew He was going to rise from the dead, and He knew there were going to be those who would not listen to Him. They would not hear from Him. They would not believe Him. They would not come to the kingdom of God. They'd refuse. But He also says they have Moses and the prophets. This is the very same thing that He said. You search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life or everlasting life. These are they which speak of Me, He said. And this is what He's saying, the same exact thing. In one John chapter five, it's written, "He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Where is after everlasting life found? In his son? Everlasting life is in the Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. There was a story once of a person who was very, very rich, and upon their death, they had a picture. We we're going to auction things off, and they had a picture, and, and this picture was of the, the individual's son. They offered it for auction and nobody bought it. And finally, somebody, just to get the auction going, they bought the picture. And the auctioneer closed down and said, That's it, the auction's over. And everybody looked at each other, What do you mean it's over? Well, whoever gets the son gets it all. And that's the picture of Christ. We receive the son, we receive it all. Everlasting life because everlasting life is in Him. And if we're in Him, we have everlasting life. After the real Lazarus died, our Lord told Lazarus' sister, Martha, I am the resurrection and life, who believes in Me, though he may die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in Me shall never die. Do you believe this? He asked Martha, do you believe this? If you believe in Me, you're never going to die. Do you believe this? And so I ask you, like he asked Martha, do you believe this? No matter what happens in the flesh, if you believe, if you truly believe, then you will live forever because everlasting life is in Christ. After he arose from the grave, our Lord joined some of his disciples on the road to Emmaus, and it's written in Luke chapter 24, beginning at Moses, and all the prophets he expounded to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning himself. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have a transcript of that discussion? Woo! Praise God! He said, look, this is what the Scriptures are showing you. You already have these. This reveals me to the world. And those today who say we don't need that I have to say they're mistaken. They're in error, at least. Later that day, those guys were telling others what happened, and He appeared again. This was after He arose from the grave. He he comes into their midst... As written, he said to him, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. He said it again. That's the testimony. Three times we find it in God's Word. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it's written, "'There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory, so also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption.' It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Christ in us is that life-giving spirit. And He strengthens us. You know, recently I, I had someone who said... You know, Pastor, when you preach, I I think you're preaching right to me. I come under conviction, and I said, thank God. He loves you. He wouldn't convict you if he didn't. And if you come under conviction, it's not because I know anything in your life. Trust me, okay? There's very few of you that I know anything about. And when I do know something, I try to avoid that. so It doesn't seem like I'm preaching to you, okay? Seriously, I do. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. In John chapter 5, it's written, marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear His voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Why would our Lord say that if it wasn't true? And what is this good and evil thing? You see, that's faith versus lack of faith. It's belief. Versus not believing. Because filled with His Spirit, He says, I will put My Spirit in you. Ezekiel told us that. The chapter 36. Ezekiel says, I will put My Spirit in you and He will cause you to obey Me. My paraphrase. Everlasting life is found in Christ. Amen? Amen. In Galatians chapter 6, it's written, "'Be not deceived, God is not mocked, "'for whatever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. "'For he that soweth to his flesh "'shall of the flesh reap corruption, "'but he that soweth to the Spirit "'shall of the Spirit reap everlasting life.'" Or life everlasting. "'And let us not be weary in well-doing, "'for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. "'As we have therefore opportunity, "'let us do good unto all men, "'especially unto those, or them.'" who are of the household of faith. In other words, treat our brothers and sisters properly in the Lord. Do well to everyone, but especially those that are brothers and sisters. The Scriptures are clear. Everlasting life is found in Christ. I'm going to wrap it up, folks. won't be long. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. That's in 1 John chapter 5, verse 12. To have the Son, we must give ourselves to Him. I surrender some, most, much. I surrender all. In Matthew, it's written, Matthew chapter 18, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted... And become as little children. There is no way you shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever shall humble himself as this little child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He's probably holding a baby, a very young child, and says, become dependent on God like this child is dependent upon its parents. That's what he wants. He wants us to depend on Him. He wants us to turn to Him. He wants us to think of Him. He wants us to adore Him. He wants us to worship Him. He wants us to count on Him for everything we need. So don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Put God first, and all these things will be given to you. In Matthew chapter 18, truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, converted, changed. You see, we don't just stay where we are. God loves us too much to leave us there. We must be converted. We must be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And some are too full of pride, too much hubris to except that they have to humble themselves before God, that they need to surrender to God, that they need to allow themselves to become, as a little child, fully dependent upon this God that we can't see. I depend on my breath, and I can't see that unless I go out on a 25-degree day and hold a wedding for three couples. Then I can see my breath. His kingdom is within those who submit to Him completely. Are you willing to do that? You get the choice. He doesn't make you. He doesn't take you by your ear and drag you like an old school teacher. He just says, this is the way. Follow me. This is how to do it. This is what's best for you. In Matthew chapter 7, it's written, because narrow is the gate... And difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Isn't that a sad, sad fact? Few. In the grand picture of this world, few find the way. Few find the gate. Few find the path. You all have been granted by God the gift of knowing where that gate is and where that path is. And you have the ability to choose whether or not to go through the gate and walk the path. In Romans chapter 12, it's written, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, and this is my final call to all of you and everybody who will hear this message, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Though some think it's unreasonable, God in His Word says it's a reasonable thing for Him to expect. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And what is the will of God for your lives? The Scriptures tell us. He wants you to live forever with Him. That's His will. He wants each and every one of us to be in His presence, singing, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Is that where you want to be? Because... If you ask that question, where is everlasting life found? The answer is clear from the Scriptures, in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You. I thank You, Lord, that You take this imperfect mouth of mine and You use it to bring forth Your Word. I thank You, Lord, that You've used this imperfect creature today to bring forth that which will edify those, and maybe rebuke some, and maybe reprove some, maybe exhort, that we all might be filled with your Spirit, that you would dwell within us as temples, that we would not defile these temples as your Word commands us, and that we would live always in your will and your way on your path to your glory, I pray in Christ's name and all of God's people said, amen.